0: connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. We are in a series entitled I Am, and what we're doing, if you haven't been here, is we're walking through the I Am statements in the book of John. Uh, The I Am statements are just simply statements where Jesus just came straight out and said, I am blank, and then over the last few weeks, we've covered... Well, where Jesus said, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, last week we talked about where he said, I am the gate, and uh, we want to jump into another one today, but I want to remind you of why we're doing this series. Uh, We took a look at these I am statements and, and just asked the question, why should we learn these? Why should we care about them? And we believe that there's some great benefits to knowing the I am statements. First one is, the I am statements reveal Christ alone is the fulfillment, perfection, and completion of Old Testament prophecy. And uh, today is one of those days. Uh, This one in particular that we're going to be talking about today, uh, he is referring back to the Old Testament. You're going to see it. And he's drawing that out to make a very, very profound point. And so we're going to talk about that here in just a minute. Uh, Another benefit is the I Am Statements reveal Christ alone can satisfy every longing of the human heart. We declare right here, right now, that Jesus is all we need and he is everything. Without him, we have nothing And then thirdly, the I am statements reveal Christ more fully so that we might respond appropriately in deeper worship. And I hope that you're already doing that. Like you came in today, you are already ready to connect with God, to hear Him, to worship Him. And uh, so today, uh, we're going to continue with that. Would you grab your Bibles, head over to John chapter 10. We're going to tack on to the end of where we left off last week. So go to verse 11, and we're going to be jumping around a little bit today, but this is going to be our main text. Now... Before I jump into what I want to get to today, I want to share with you something that I think has just kind of been revealed to me over the last couple of months as I've been diving into the Word. Uh, There's another I am benefit to knowing some of these statements, and one of them is this, that not only do we get a better understanding of who God is, but we get a better understanding of who we are in light of God, uh, and more appropriately, who we are not. Especially in this day and age when we are all kind of declaring ourselves God. We just do what we want. You live your truth, right? And, and so we are all our own gods. And, and in that, we're rejecting that God is everything that he said he, is, said he is. And I have to tell you, over the last few weeks, after listening to the bread of life and the light of the world and, and the gate, I am definitely not those things. I can't be. God is the only one. That fulfills those, and so I understand because of that uh, who I am. Uh, I, I'm reminded of the passage that says, "Be still and know that I am God." And I think some of that I always want to tack onto that and go, uh, "Be still and know that I am God, and that you are not," right? Because that's that's what we need to be reminded of sometimes is that there is only one God, and and this God is the only one who gets to tell us who He is and who we are. And I want to take us uh, clear back. I, I'm just going to show it to you on the screen, just. You can stay in John chapter 10 there. But I want to show you something that I've run across that's really been working on me lately because I've been doing a lot of work in the Old Testament, uh, digging up just the covenant, uh, the blessing, curses, things like that, kind of following through the history of the Old Testament, kind of reading through, getting the overall picture. And one of the things that keeps sticking out to me is how often God makes himself known, calls us back to him, and yet our response is incorrect. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 14, God calls Moses out of the desert and said, I want you to go back to Egypt and I want you to free my people. And if you know the story, uh, Moses is having an argument with God because he's like, I'm not the man. I don't speak. I don't speak so good, you know, that type of stuff. Uh, uh, I have trouble with the language and so you need to send somebody with me and they're having this discussion. And finally, one of the other arguments that Moses has is, well, who am I supposed to say sent me if they asked? And this is Jesus' response in verse 14. God replied to Moses, I am who what? I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. He declares, I am. And, and through this, he keeps saying, look, I am your God and you are my people. You follow me and blessings will follow that. If you turn your back on me, then I'm going to let you have what you want. And, and it will be a curse because you think you know what you want, but you, but you're going to get it all wrong. And so just follow me. And yet, if you know the history of the Old Testament, it's this constant cyclical, you almost want to say sick, S-I-C-K, right? Because it's kind of sick how we do this, but God calls us to him and we become God's people and he becomes our God and we follow him. Then we get comfortable and we start, our eyes start drifting. We start chasing other gods and other things and pretty soon God's like, what's going on here? And finally, if that's what you want, Fine, I'll let you have it, and he releases us, and we suffer the consequences of that, and we find ourselves in a horrible place, and then we cry out to God, and he redeems us again, and and we go back to God, and God pulls us in. He's our God, and and we are his people, and then all of a sudden, we chase after something else, and it's this cycle in Scripture of, of God chasing after his people over and over and over again, and finally, by the time you get to the prophets, you get to the first book of the 12, which is the book of Hosea. God does something very interesting with this prophet. He tells Hosea, I want you to go and I want you to marry this woman. The problem is the woman was a prostitute. And so Hosea goes and he marries her. And they start having kids and, and God tells him what to name the kids as they're having kid, these kids. But the problem is she keeps running off. She's chasing after other men and, he, and Hosea's like, I'm done, I've had it. And God's like, nope, you have to go chase her again. So he'd go chase her and he'd bring her back home again. And God, in this moment, is actually using Hosea as an example to all the people as to what it's like to be their God. And he's saying it's, it's this way. You are an adulterous people. You keep chasing after other gods, and yet I love you, and I keep pursuing you and pulling you back to me. I keep I keep calling out to you, and I keep wanting you to come home, and yet you chase after other things. And, and Hosea, uh, with this relationship with this woman, they keep having children. and Finally, they get to the third child, and this stuck out to me, this just... Recently, I've never really paid attention to this, and it stuck out to me, like, uh, unbelievably. Like, it was just screaming. Hosea 1.9, and the Lord said, Name him, this is their third child, Lo-Ami. It means, not my people. For Israel is not my people, and I am not their God. It's a sad moment in the the history of the Israelites. God says, look, I've told you all along, you are my people, And I want to be your God, and yet you keep chasing after other things. And we get to this place, and he says, you're not my people. Because you won't make me your God. I never want to be in that place. I never, ever want that said about me or about God's church. That we are not his people, and that he is not our God. I don't want God to show up and go, I don't recognize you. I don't know who you are. That that language that's used there in that text in Hosea is actually very interesting. It's written like a contract. It's almost like a divorce. I'm not their God. I am no longer I am to you, is what he's saying. Now, today in our text, The statement that we're going to study is what you see up here, uh, written on the A, where God says, I am the good shepherd. And today, uh, as we jump into this text, I want to read it. I want to dive into it a little bit, and we're going to come back and read it again. So let's take a look at this to give you some context. If you haven't been with us, uh, Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he's been teaching in Jerusalem, and he runs across a guy who's blind, and he heals the man, and, and all of a sudden, the guy can see. And the religious leaders are upset about it so they drag the the now seen blind man into the council and they're questioning who healed you and by what authority and what power did they use to heal you almost like it was a bad thing and I love the blind man's response because he's like I don't know what to tell you like I just came in contact with Jesus I was blind and now I can see that's all he says, and I love that testimony. Like, hey, this is this is just what he did. This is what because I came into contact with Jesus. I was broken, and now I'm whole. I was sick, and now I'm healed. That was it. And Jesus continues to teach, and and we covered the first part of chapter ten last week, where Jesus said, "I am the gate," and he's tacking onto it right here in verse eleven. So, if you're with me, we're going to take off and read this, and it says, "I am." The good shepherd. And I just want to push the pause button just for a second. And I know we just got into it, but I want to make this point r- right up front. Does he say that I'm a shepherd? No. Th- does he say that I'm one of the good shepherds? No. What does he say? He says, I am the good shepherd. Now, I want you to get that because it'll come into play later on. It says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. He says it again. I know my sheep and they know me, just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in the sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The father loves me because I sacrifice my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want, when I want to, and also to take it up again, for this is what my Father has commanded. When he said these things, the people were again divided in their opinions about him. Some said he's demon-possessed, and out of his mind, why listen to a man like that? Others said, this doesn't sound like a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Now, that's our text today, and I want us to dive into it, because I know many of us, when we hear this this phrase, I am the good shepherd, if you're like me, you get this mental picture of some old dude with a beard. Maybe he's got this curved staff or something. He's standing out in a robe somewhere in a field, and he's got a bunch of little fluffy things running around him, right? And we get that mental picture of that's what Jesus is saying, that he's that guy. And I want you to know that some of that comes from our understanding of, of just shepherds, right? I mean, we get that, that mental picture, but there's more to this. And, and some of you, if you've, uh, I don't know, studied this a little bit and dove into it, maybe uh, you started bringing to mind things like, I don't know, Psalm 23, right? David writes, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green. It's a whole thing, right? This idea of this this amazing scene of a good shepherd. Um, Maybe some of you even maybe thought of Isaiah 40, which it says, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will carry the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. You know, we read passages like this and we get the idea of a good shepherd. And we think that that's what Jesus was talking about. I remember um, a painting of Jesus when I was growing up. It was in my grandfather's home. I don't know if any of you had your grandparents, uh, whether they had the same picture or not, but it was uh, this amazing scene of this beautiful white dude that had long hair, like uh, lots of hair product, right, flowing hair, and he had like this this nice, beautiful little lamb around his shoulders and he's carrying the shoulder, right? It was this picture of Jesus. And I remember staring at that a lot when I was a kid and and reading stories like this and hearing stories and thinking that's what Jesus was talking about, that he was the good shepherd. And and yeah, that's that's imagery that comes out of scripture. But can I be honest with you this morning? That's not what Jesus is saying. He's not saying... I'm some guy with a beard and a staff standing in a field with a bunch of little sheep. That's not what he is saying at all. And actually what he's saying is very, very impactful. It's very scandalous in this moment. And it's got deep, deep meaning if we truly understand it. Now, I want us to go back and I want us to put ourselves in those sandals of those first century listeners just for a minute. Let's say you've been raised around you know, Israel, you've been raised in that faith. You've heard the the scrolls read over and over again. You know what the scrolls say. You've heard all of them read over and over again. Maybe you went to school and studied them for a while, and uh, maybe you've sat at the feet and heard people discuss the prophecies from the scrolls, and you are very familiar with a passage out of Ezekiel 34, which was written 600 years before Jesus ever arrives on the scene. And it, it talks about the shepherds of Israel. And Ezekiel is actually, he's a prophet, but he's also a priest, and he's given a message from God to deliver to to his people. And some of it is referring to, you know, exile and things like that, but he's talking specifically to the shepherds and what will come. And, And let's say that you have heard this over and over and over again. Okay, so I want to read it And I want us to get the, just kind of dig into it a little bit. And then I want us to go back to our text in John, where Jesus is speaking and see if something else comes out of it. Take a look at what Ezekiel writes 600 years before Jesus shows up. Then this message came to me from the what? From the Lord. So this is a message from God. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds, the leaders of Israel. Now, who's he talking to? He's talking to the priests specifically, but also the kings that that have come. And all these kings and these priests have just taken advantage of the people. And, And God even warned them about this because early on when they were like, hey, God, we're following you. We're your people. You're our God. But you know what would be awesome is if we had an earthly king like all the other nations. Give us an earthly king. And God's like, you don't want that. An earthly king is going to take your daughters and enslave them, and he's going to take your sons, and he's going to send them off to war, and he's going he's gonna to tax you. You don't want an earthly king. And they're like, no, we know what we want. We want a king. And finally, he's like, all right, morons, I'll give you a king, right? And it starts this whole string of these kings. And a, and a few of them are good. King David, right? They try, but most of them are not so good. The priests, they take advantage of the people, and especially in this moment when Jesus is speaking in John chapter 10, the priests have taken advantage of the people. They they oppress the people with over 600 rules, and and they're taxing them as they come in. They give their, their sacrifices, and we can just go on and on about how the system is just messed up. It's one of the reasons why the Pharisees are so upset with Jesus, because he's about to rock the boat. He's going to mess up this good thing that they have going. And so that's who Ezekiel is talking to here. He says, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds, the leaders of Israel. Give them this message from the sovereign Lord. What sorrow awaits you shepherds who feed yourselves instead of your flocks? Shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep? You drink the milk, wear the wool, and butcher the best animals, but you let your flocks starve. You have not taken care of the weak. You have not tended the sick or bound up the injured. You have not gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. Instead, you have ruled them with harshness and cruelty. So my sheep have been scattered without a shepherd. And they are easy prey for any wild animal. They have wandered through all the mountains and all the hills across the face of the earth, yet no one has gone to search for them. Therefore, you shepherds, Hear the word of the Lord, as surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, you abandoned my flock and left them to be attacked by every wild animal. And though you were my shepherds, you didn't search for my sheep when they were lost. You took care of yourselves and left the sheep to starve. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says, I now consider these shepherds my enemies and I will hold them responsible for what has happened to my flock. I will take away their right to feed the flock and I will stop them from feeding themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths. The sheep will no longer be their prey. This is to the leaders. This is to the the shepherds uh, who are the priests and the kings of Israel. And he's saying, no more. You've taken advantage of them. You've misled them. You've scattered them. You have not cared for them you fed yourself. You've gotten fat off of it yourself. And what's interesting is Ezekiel in verse 11 turns a corner. And he begins to talk about a good shepherd that will come. Verse 11, he says, for this is what the sovereign Lord says. Who's speaking again? The Lord, right? The Lord is speaking through Ezekiel. And so every eye that you hear here, hear here, is God himself, I myself, God's talking here, will search and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for his scattered flock. I will find my sheep and rescue them from all the places where they're scattered on that dark and cloudy day. I will bring them back home to their own land of Israel from among the peoples and nations. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel and by the rivers and in the, all places, all the places where people live. Yes, I will give them good pasture land on the high hills of Israel. There they will lie down in pleasant places and feed in lush pastures of the hills. I myself will tend my sheep and give them a place to lie down in peace, says the sovereign Lord. I will search for my lost ones who strayed away, and I will bring them safely home again. I will bandage the injured and strengthen the weak, but I will destroy those who are fat and powerful. I will feed them, yes, feed them justice. And as for you, my flock, this is what the sovereign Lord says to his people. I will judge between one animal of the flock and another, separating the sheep and the goats, and it goes on, just keeps going on from there For uh, what the Lord wants for His own flock. Uh, that last part it says, separating the sheep from the goats. I just get this mental I- image of Matthew chapter 25, where Jesus is giving this parable of the sheep and the goats. Do you remember that? Where Jesus says, "Look, I- I'm going to be the shepherd. I'm going to I'm going to bring the-, the goats and the sheep in. I'm going to separate them. And the, the sheep, I'm going to send on in- into eternal uh, glory. And the others, I'm going to send to hell." Is what he says. He's the judge. This um, passage was well known, well debated, well talked about it. It was referring to the Messiah that would come, the rescuer, the savior that God would eventually come to uh, send to come and rescue his people, to be the end all king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. This is the good shepherd that they're talking about, and Jesus stands up. And he says, I am the good shepherd. And I think in that moment, everyone standing there wouldn't have thought about a guy with a lot of, you know, long flowing hair and a little lamb under his arm. Their mind would have gone back to Ezekiel 34. There's judgment coming for the bad shepherds. And there is a good shepherd coming. God himself is going to come. And he's going to redeem his people. It's a messianic prophecy about what God was about to do. And God in this moment, through his son Jesus, is making himself known. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. What is he saying? In this moment, Jesus is claiming to be God. Make no mistake about it. And he knows the people there understand what he's saying. Let's read this again. I want to go back to John 10. I want you to hear it uh, in that first uh, first century context. Think about what you just heard out of uh, Ezekiel 34. And he says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him. And he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock, the hired hand's And runs away because he's working only for money and doesn't really care about the sheep. And I wonder in that moment when Jesus is saying this, if he's not looking around and making eye contact with all of the Pharisees. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me just as my father knows me. And I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must... Bring them also. They will listen to my voice. We talked about that last week. There will be one flock with one shepherd. The Father loves me because I sacrifice my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded He says, look, this is what my father has commanded. This is why I have come. This is my mission. This is what God has sent me to do. And he is obeying the instructions that God has given him. Why did he come? To sacrifice his life, to lay it down. Where is he about to go from here? He's moving toward the cross to give his life. Look at how many times he says, I sacrificed or I laid down my life. There's five times in that short passage. Verse 11, verse 15, verse 17, twice in verse 18. And then it says, when he said these things, the people were again divided in their opinions about him. Some said, he's demon possessed and out of his mind, why listen to a man like that? Others said, this doesn't sound like a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? They're mixed, they're they're struggling, they're wrestling with who is he? He just makes a statement, I am the shepherd, and we know what that means going clear back to Ezekiel 34. We know what he's saying. Do we believe him or not? And what's interesting is they're divided, they're they're struggling with that, just like you and I do today. Do you believe that Jesus is the good shepherd? C.S. Lewis says you have three options. Based on everything Jesus said, he's either a liar or he's a lunatic or he's Lord. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter um, where you're at in life right now. It doesn't matter what age you are, or you're at right now. Um, eventually in your life, you have to decide for yourself. So let me ask you, is Jesus the good shepherd to you. Is he the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord? These religious leaders and the people standing there that day outside the temple when Jesus was teaching this and he made the statement, I am the good shepherd. I can prove to you that they knew exactly what he was talking about, that it wasn't, it wasn't a dude standing in a field with, with sheep. But he was saying, I am God. I am the prophesied Messiah who is to come. Because if you skip down to verse 24, you see what happened. Some of your translations say the religious leaders, and this one says the people surrounded him and asked, how long are you going to keep us in suspense if you are, what? The Messiah. They knew what he was talking about. They didn't miss it. If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Did he tell them plainly? Kind of, right? It's like, I am the good shepherd. They knew what that meant. That's why they're asking the question. But they want to hear him say it. They want to to hear it come out of his mouth. Look what he says, verse 25. Jesus replied, I've already told you, and you don't believe me. The proof is in the work I do in my Father's name, but you don't believe me because you are not my sheep. Remember the passage I talked about in Hosea? You are not my people, and I am not your God. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. For my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Did he answer their question? I think he did. I think they think he did too, because look at verse 31. Once again, the people picked up stones to kill him. Did they believe him? No. Why? Why? because they're picking up stones. They they want to kill him. If they believed him, they would have bowed down. Can I just tell you this morning, Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. Some of you, you've heard that a long time. Some of you responded to that years ago. You made a statement. You received Christ, but maybe you haven't committed your whole life to him. Today would be a good day to say, look, I believe that you are the good shepherd. I believe that you are the Messiah. And I'm not going to hold back anymore. Some of you have been coming for a while, and you've heard the gospel presented. You've heard it said, I am the good shepherd the bread of life, I'm the light of the world. You've heard all of these, and yet you, like the people in the text, are still wrestling with it. I don't know if I really believe. I don't know if I really believe. And yet Jesus comes straight out and says, it. I am, I am. So what's it going to be for you Today? Just like the people in our text, we, we have to decide for ourselves. And I, and I don't want you to leave here today without deciding. You need to decide one way or the other. Is he the good shepherd or not? What do you choose? I pray that you choose uh, like the people that we see in First Peter chapter 2. It says, once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd the guardian of your souls. My prayer is today that you would turn back to Jesus. That you would give him your heart, your life. That you would declare this morning without a doubt that he is the good shepherd. I want to pray for us and then we're going to move into a time of directed prayer to respond to what we've heard this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now in this moment. God, this world has so much to... To say, to offer, gives us opportunities to walk away from you in so many different ways. And Lord, I I pray that today is just like what we're reading through the text, that you're just calling us back. Lord, I I thank you for being a God that never gives up, that never lets go. Today, Lord, we, we just praise you. We praise you for being the good shepherd, the Messiah, the Savior that was prophesied about so long ago. And Lord, we know that you go on to fulfill this, that shortly after this text, that you go and give your life so that we can have forgiveness of sins. And and then three days later, you leave the tomb empty so that we can have eternal life with you. So Lord, in this moment, we just thank you for being a God who is alive and active in our lives. Lord, I pray for those of us that maybe have been blasé about it. We've been uh, maybe on cruise control. I pray that we would get serious about our faith in you, that we would start to um, turn everything over to you. Lord, I pray for those in the room that have never taken this step, they've never decided, they've never said for themselves and declared who you are. I pray that today would be different, that they wouldn't leave here without putting their trust in you. And so, Lord, we give you all these things. We just pray your name would be glorified above everything else as the good shepherd as our savior as the lord of lord of our life we pray all this brings glory and honor to the name of jesus christ and everyone agreed and said